I'm not the regular preacher, so if, you, uh, if you're visiting with us tonight, please come back. Um, one thing I've noticed in the lecture series on the various topics is that they all involve loving one another. This is agape love that we talked about in the Bible class this morning. This is the love that we're commanded, that we're commanded to have toward God and to practice toward God and our neighbors and our enemies and our brothers and sisters in Christ. This love is doing what is best for the other person, whether they want us to or not, and however we might feel about the person at the time. God's general instruction is to love one another, and I see in these topics that we've been talking about specific ways that we love one another. And the topic for tonight is admonish one another. Bind's Dictionary says that of this Greek word, which is translated admonish, that it means simply to put in mind. And then dictionary.com for the English word admonish has to caution, advise, or counsel against something, to reprove or scold, especially in a mild and good-willed manner, to urge to a duty, remind. Another source says that by means of, of admonition, advice, warning, reminding, teaching, and spurring on, a person can be redirected from wrong ways and his behavior corrected. Admonition has more to do with the will of a person than it does with his intellect. As sort of a real-world example, we've been admonished a lot over the last year and a half to wear our masks, to stay six feet apart, to wash our hands. So that's sort of a, just a day-to-day just a -day type of admonition. The word admonish doesn't occur that many times in the New Testament. The word that we looked at that's translated admonish is about half the time admonish and about half the time warn. So admonish and warn are very similar in meaning. In admonishing one another spiritually, we want to remind each other about God's will. We want to warn each other to do God's will. There's at least two different types or situations for admonition. In one case, a brother or sister already has a problem with sin, and we have to go to them, encourage them to repent. As 1 Thessalonians 3.14 says, we're not to count them as an enemy, but admonish them as a brother. In the second situation, we're admonishing Christians before they have a problem, in hopes that they will avoid the problem. Ideally, this warning ahead of time would be all the admonishing that we would ever have to do, but that's not always the case. Still, we could hope that with a good amount of warning, not so much admonishing after the fact would be required. Admonishing can be done in a setting like this, where we're speaking to the whole church, or it can be done in a Bible class, or it can be done in a one-on-one -on -one situation, person to person. Colossians 1.28 says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And then Colossians 3.16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In both of these verses, we see warning or admonition coupled with teaching. Teaching is accompanied by reminding of things that were taught before and of warning of the consequences of not heeding the teaching and warning. The purpose of this admonition is to perfect each one of us spiritually so that we will grow more mature, more complete. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, 
and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. In, in addition to admonishing others, we are admonished. Part of the work specifically of evangelists and elders is to admonish us. We need to esteem them very highly for this work that they do. In Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 28, Paul is speaking to the elders from Ephesus. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. When Paul was at Ephesus, he warned them day and night. He admonished them, even with tears. Specifically, he warned them about false teachers who would be like savage wolves, drawing away disciples from following Jesus. He admonished the elders to have that same sort of care for the church they're responsible for. In 1 Corinthians 4.14, he said that he was writing to them to warn them as his beloved children, as a father would admonish his child. As we saw before, admonish means to put one in mind of God's word, God's will. Peter talks about this reminding in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. He wants to remind them of these things, the Word of God and the will of God. They know them, but he wants to stir them up by reminding them. Admonition has a purpose, to remind us of God's will so that we will do it. As Jesus said in John 13, 17, If you know these things, blessed are the, you if you do them. We admonish to remind people of what God has said and to remind them to do what he has said. Although the word admonish itself is not that common in the Bible, there's a lot of admonition in the Bible. Let's look at just some of the admonitions in the Bible and how they can apply to us. Exodus 25, verse 40. See to it that you make them according to the pattern which is shown you in the mountain. In Exodus 25, God is giving instructions for building the tabernacle. God has not instructed us to build a physical building or a tent, but we are being built up together as a spiritual temple. We need to remember, we need to see to it, to follow the pattern that we find in the New Testament, both for our work as a church and for our lives as individuals. We need to heed the admonition to stick to the pattern. Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 31, but as for you, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which you shall teach them, that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. Therefore you should be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. We admonish one another to be careful to keep God's commands, not turning aside from them, walking in them. 
you've probably heard this illustration before, but if you're navigating a boat or an airplane and you get just a little bit off and you don't know it, then you won't end up anywhere near the destination you were heading for. We have to stay on course spiritually. Just as walking in God's ways would bring blessings on the nation of Israel in their land, walking in His ways today will ensure our spiritual health and well-being. Now some admonitions from Jesus. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In this passage, we're admonished by Jesus not to do our charitable deeds to please other people, not to do anything we do to please other people, but to please God. He warns us that if we're seeking glory from men, we have all the glory we're going to receive. Then in verse 14, chapter 6, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We're warned here by Jesus that we must forgive others if we want to be forgiven by God. The fact that God forgives us should make us happy to forgive each other, but if not, then we have to heed the warning that if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. And then in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus reminds us here that physical possessions don't last. We need to spend our time and energy on things that do last, spiritual treasure. The long-term goal of every admonition is to help each other get to heaven. Our real treasure is in heaven, not on earth. We're seeking a heavenly country. Just to emphasize the value of this admonition, read, let's read about heaven in Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. The goal of our admonition is that glory of Romans 8, 18, that far outweighs the suffering of this life. God's admonition tells us something about God. It tells us that He is merciful, that He wants to forgive us, that He wants to keep us in a right relationship with Him. Let's look at Psalm 103, beginning in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. 
For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. For as the heavens, I'm sorry, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. God would not admonish us if he didn't want to accept us back when we have problems. So one might ask, why do we need to be admonished? Why do we need reminding and warning? Let's look at some verses from Deuteronomy, starting with Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And then in chapter 8, beginning in verse 11, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Sometimes life seems to be going pretty well and we're enjoying the blessings that God has given to us, and we don't think about God as much as we should. It's not that we don't remember that God is there at all. We just aren't concentrating on Him. We're not concentrating on spiritual things, and we're in danger of forgetting to do the things we ought to do. We can forget God by not keeping His commandments. God was going to bless Israel with water and houses and land and all, um, all kinds of good things, and He warned them that they might forget Him, we know that from the book of Judges, that's exactly what happened. So we've been reading about each Sunday. Um, the Israelites get into a cycle where they are doing well, and then they forget about God, and they worship idols, and they get into all kinds of sins. And then God allows a nation to oppress them, and they cry out to God, and He delivers them. And that happens over and over. We need to be admonished and reminded and warned not to be like that, so that even in good times, we will serve God faithfully. We need to remember that we need God just as much in the good times as we do in the bad times. We also need to be admonished because we don't always see the dangers ahead. When Abraham and Lot separated because their herdsmen were having conflicts, Lot chose the plain of Jordan. He chose to move near Sodom. I don't know if anybody warned Lot not to move near Sodom, but if they had and he had heeded the warning, Imagine how much better things could have turned out for Lot and his wife and his children. We tend to not see the dangers ahead when there's something that we want to do. The American Standard Version of 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Evil companionships corrupt good morals. The ESV translates it as, Bad company ruins good morals. Often the friends that we choose can either help or hurt us in serving God. We need to choose friends who will help us. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Maybe this is where we get our expression, playing with fire. There are situations that are incredibly dangerous to us, and sometimes we fall into them as, they were as if they were nothing. We need to admonish one another to be careful. 
to watch where we're going spiritually, to recognize potential dangers. Let's look at Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. Paul was confident that these brethren were able to admonish one another. We can be able to admonish one another too. But this, is abil this ability is something we have to develop. Knowledge of God's word is the foundation of the admonition that we have to give. We're not admonishing one another about our opinions on various subjects. It's all scripture that is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, 1 Timothy 3.16. It's the word of God that is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, in Hebrews 4.12. As we grow in knowledge of God's word and God's will and we grow in wisdom, we grow in ability to admonish one another. In Romans 15, being full of goodness is also associated with being able to admonish. The word for goodness here has to do with a moral quality, which is good in character or constitution, and because of that is good in its effect. More than having a kindly disposition toward others, it signifies kindly actions toward others. Admonition may not be perceived as kindly by the recipient, but proper admonition is an act of kindness and goodness. As I mentioned before, admonishing one another is a specific way of loving one another. We also admonish with a purpose, with the goal of preventing sin or producing repentance or encouraging good works of obedience to God. God has given us instructions for loving one another. We already studied those to some today, uh, but I'm going to turn to that again in 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We need to apply the principles of love to admonition. Admonition is for the benefit of the per person being admonished. Let's look at the various aspects of love and how they can relate to admonition. First, we must be long-suffering, patient in admonition. When we see the need for admonition, we should take some time to figure out what spiritual principles apply best to the situation. If we need to take some time to make sure our emotions are under control, we should do that. We may have to admonish more than once, and so we need to be patient in that. And when the response to our admonition isn't exactly what we wanted, we need to be long-suffering. 
Next, love is kind. And of course, we need to be kind in our admonition. Warning someone by the word of God about the potential consequences of their actions is often not going to be perceived as kind. But we need to do our best to be kind in how we express it and how we do it. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1, says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, and does not seek its own. Envy and pride and self-seeking are all very bad types of selfishness. Admonition must be unselfishly seeking what's best for the person that you're admonishing. We need to try to remove whatever personal uh, self-interest we have when we're doing admonition. Love does not behave rudely. The King James Version has unseemly instead of rudely. We have to admonish each other in a way that is fitting for a disciple of Christ. This doesn't mean that we can really admonish people necessarily in a way that they're going to like. Uh, And they might accuse us of being rude even when we're not, even when we do our best. We can only control how we present the truth. We can't control how it is received. Love is not provoked. In James 1.19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We can't let our personal anger dominate our admonition. But we're going to be angry sometimes. Sin and evil will make us angry. It it happens. Uh, But we must control our anger. We can't let it get to the wrath that James is talking about which cannot produce the righteousness of God. Love thinks no evil. The application of this to admonition might be that we can't assume bad motives on the part of each other, whether we're the person admonishing or the one being admonished. We need to assume good motives. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. As we talked about it before, scriptural admonition is based on the truth of God's Word. We want to remind people of that truth because we want to help them steer clear of iniquity, of lawlessness. We rejoice in our brothers and sisters living in accordance with God's Word. Love bears all things, and this includes love endures all things. In the case of admonition, we need to bear and endure whatever we have to, to help each other in these situations, whatever we have to bear or endure to admonish people the way they need to be admonished. We might have to bear resentment, embarrassment, inconvenience, even anger. With Jesus as our example, we can can bear and endure whatever is necessary. Love believes all things and love hopes all things. One of the devil's greatest weapons is discouragement. He wants us to think things like, it won't work, they won't listen to me, they're not going to change. 
We have to fight this discouragement to do what we need to do for our brothers and sisters. God is not asking us to believe in our ability to change someone's mind. He's asking us to believe in the ability of his word to change their minds. If we are to admonish one another, then that implies that we must be admonished by each other, which requires us to develop the right attitude about being admonished. We already talked about how we need to honor elders and evangelists for their work. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse 10. You were witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Like the Christians in Thessalonica, if we are being admonished according to God's word, we need to welcome it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. Ecclesiastes 4.13 says, Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. There's one final admonition that I want us to consider. It's in Revelation 22. And to put it in context, I'm going to read the first part of Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. The admonition I want to look at is in verses 14 and 15. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. We like to be accepted. We like to fit in with various groups. Maybe small groups, maybe large groups, maybe uh, groups online on the internet. All kinds of groups that we like to fit in. We don't like to be excluded, we like to be included. Um, there's only one group of people that's going to matter in the end, and that's the souls that live with God in eternity. They will see his face. They will have no more sorrow. They will be his people. The warning here is that some people will choose to be excluded from that group. They will feel and be absolutely and eternally outside, excluded, not accepted. But it doesn't have to be that way. Look at the very next verse. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. 
If you're ready to come to Jesus for the first time, or if you need to come back to Him in repentance, we're ready to help you as we stand and sing.